it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hope everything's going well for you. It is Thursday, getting closer to closer to Christmas. Uh, you cannot put off shopping any longer, I don't think. Tamar Jacoby is going to be on this hour with us, the director of the new Ukraine project at the Progressive Policy Institute. Some movement on a mega deal to get some supplemental funding to the border. Some changes in asylum, as well as uh, some money to Taiwan, Israel, and Ukraine. Uh, Brett Baer is standing by, so I don't want to keep Brett waiting. Just did a big interview yesterday with the hostages who are stuck in Gaza right now, thanks to uh, Hamas. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Wall Street Journal poll was... You know, very, very dark in terms from a Biden standpoint, job approval down, ratings generally down. Most of the comparatives with Trump, not good. Yeah, especially today's polls in battleground states. Joe Biden losing to all of them. And that's David Axelrod heating up. That's what's happening in the Republican side as Governor Haley gets momentum and Trump climbs in the polls still. But there's still no sign anyone can take a Trump voter away. They could just find their own voters. Uh, there's a lot of haters out there, but not enough to slow down Trump. And you just heard Axelrod. Number two. Yes, there are disputes about the day after Hamas, and I hope we will reach an agreement here as well. I will not let Israel repeat the Oslo mistake. We will not bring into Gaza those who educate terrorism, support terrorism, finance terrorism. Israel at war, the bloodiest day in Gaza as a rift emerges between President Biden and the Israeli prime minister and anti-Semitism rallies get all the way up to Syracuse and Jerry Seinfeld. Yes, Seinfeld. Number one. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad. Right. Financially involved. That's the key phrase. It's me and the big guy. Hunter shows up on the wrong side of the Capitol and claims the high road. First House Republicans looking to unmask the Biden dicey business dealings, all based on the president's last name. Hunter played the victim and, in my view, the coward refused to show up. With me right now is Brett Baer, chief political anchor for uh, Fox News. He's going to be with us shortly. Uh, And he's got two books out at the same time. I didn't think that was even possible. But it is. So yesterday, we're trying to cover it. I'm trying to cover this in real time, and we're watching what's going on on television. At the same time, trying to figure out what they're saying. Would Hunter Biden show up? Yeah, he would. But he showed up on the Senate side. Then, of course, I thought he'd go behind closed doors. He doesn't show up. Here's a little of his remarks yesterday. Cut to. Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. <laughs> wow, because I thought he was filling up, he had his own straw of paint and was blowing onto the canvas. So that at least we can bury that controversy. Although, who are the people showing up overpaying for 
Hunter Biden's paintings. So Hunter Biden came out, and to me, he said, oh, I take responsibility, but I don't. I'm being targeted because of my last name. And you're trying to get to my father. He said on a podcast to Moby that they're trying to kill me, Republicans, so it'll just break my father and he won't run again. What a leap of ridiculousness that is. Cut one. Here I am, Mr. Chairman, taking up your offer. When you said we can bring these people in for depositions or committee hearings, whichever they choose. Well, I've chosen. I am here to testify at a public hearing today to answer any of the committee's legitimate questions. Republicans do not want an open process where Americans can see their tactics, expose their baseless inquiry, or hear what I have to say. What are they afraid of? I'm here. (laughs) Right. So... When Don Jr., Eric, and they go to the post behind closed doors, when they're putting together the investigation, uh, if you want me, I got to go, but I'll pick the rules. There's a huge downside to five minutes on, five minutes off, especially when you filibuster the answer. You filibuster the answer, you wait for Eric Swalwell to talk. You filibuster the answer, you wait for another, for Jamie Raskin to give you some layups. And next thing you know, you say, well, Hunter really emerged unscathed. We should just in, in, uh, we should just suspend the impeachment inquiry. Okay, does anyone think that we've gotten to the bottom of all their business tra- transactions? Does anyone think that Hunter Biden's meetings with all these people would have wouldn't have happened if it didn't have his dad's name and also the promise of his dad's influence? That's the issue. It's the influence. He is the product. So when people say we haven't tied it all together, are you paying attention? And the fact that you came out defiant, angry, playing the victim, well, that's rich. Cut 11, Jonathan Turley. We're seeing this shifting rhetoric, even from the president himself. He stated during the campaign uh, that he had no knowledge, no involvement with these uh, business deals or these associates of his son. That appears to be demonstrably false. I mean, we, we now know that even Hunter's associates said it was nonsense. Hunter himself said his father had knowledge. Uh, but you have the president sort of caught in the amber of this scandal, and he can't now deny what he told the public over and over again. So can you defy a subpoena and not have any repercussions? If you're Peter Navarro, the answer is no, you get shackled. If it's Steve Bannon, you go to trial and you get convicted. I don't know where is that right now with this sentencing. If you pull Manafort, you got to show up. And then if you don't like the answers, you go to solitary confinement. But we'll see what happened with Hunter Biden. People come back and say Jim Jordan was subpoenaed for January 6th. He thought the whole thing was a sham. He didn't show. More from Jonathan Turley. Cut 11. Cut 12. The Democrats started an inquiry without a formal vote. There's no requirement for a formal vote. But more importantly, the subpoena came from the Oversight Committee, which has independent subpoena authority. So in my view, he's in flagrant contempt of of Congress. And, you know, I've represented the House of Representatives. I have a lot of affection for that body. And I've rarely seen such open contempt for Congress. So... You need to put teeth behind all this. I don't care if it's an impeachment investigation this week or in two years from now, if you want to find out about financial undoings that led to the next incarnation of the 2008 bank collapse. When, you, when people ask you to testify, you got to come. 
And look, if you want to exonerate your dad, show up behind closed doors, answer all the questions. It'll come out that you answered all the questions. And this is all, I, I don't want an impeachment. And they're not going to have the votes to have an impeachment. I don't want to see the trial go on. But the inquiry now was, I think it says a lot that these moderates or these 16 Republicans holding on to districts in which Joe Biden got more votes than Donald Trump did not want to put themselves out there in an inquiry. But when they saw what they saw and read what they read over the last month, they all voted for it this time, not an impeachment. And this is what I want. I don't think that him getting impeached is going to do anything. They're never going to get to it. What's going to leave three months early? The Democrats will be happier than Republicans. But I just want an inquiry. Before you vote, should you find out if the president of the United States was making money while vice president? Did he lie to you in 2020 when he said that wasn't his son's laptop? Did he lie to you two weeks ago when he said that all these accusations that I knew about my son's business dealings are all lies? That He said all lies. Don't you want to know if you were being lied to? Now, I don't, you know, get into impeachment will probably make them stronger if they fail and they're not going to get 60 votes in the Senate. So I do think that's a waste of time. I don't think the investigation is. They really don't know all the answers. They're letting you know in real time. It's not that they're holding back trying to juice our ratings like that was happening so much with the Mueller report. We'll wait for something good to happen with Trump. We'll wait for a infrastructure week. And then we'll put something out there that says that Donald Trump and Don Jr. had secret meetings in North Korea with Russian officials. Whatever it was. And I think you understand the pattern. Brett Baer joins us when we get back. Then Tamar Jacoby joins us too. The new Ukraine project. And the chances, and listen, I listened, we had Senator Lankford on this morning, KRMG, listen up. It looks like they're making major progress on the border. So there might be a deal after all. You're listening to Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. But I think the way to look at this is that the business is Joe Biden. And it doesn't make sense to me to keep saying it's Hunter's business. Now we have to go through every thread to figure out what Joe may have known about it or how he moved it up the field or how he abetted it. The business is Joe Biden. His political influence is what the business is. And the way the government works, this business would not have gone on for five minutes unless he willfully abetted it. So I think the way to look at this is that Joe Biden is the business. And Hunter may have been the front man, but it's a mistake to tee this up as it's Hunter's business and we have to, you know, trace the threads from Hunter to, to Joe. Hunter couldn't have sustained this business on his own. You know, the, the, the crazy Republican caucus, 221 all voted for it. So they went on the party line. But I think maybe even Ken Buck voted for it, too. I'm not sure. Maybe he didn't show up. He's out of there anyway. Meanwhile, look at this poll as we switch over to 2020. Donald Trump has gained ground in the GOP primary among likely Republican caucus goers in Iowa. He's up now 51 to DeSantis is 19 to Haley's 16 to Ramswamy's five to Christie's four. So that to me is significant. Also, you have a Bloomberg who just did a poll and uh, it's pretty it's pretty uh, amazing on this poll because uh, in it, Trump is winning in every battleground state. So Bloomberg, 
Arizona, Trump up four. Georgia, Trump up six. Michigan, Trump up four. Nevada, Trump up three. North Carolina, uh, Trump up nine. Pennsylvania, Trump up two. Wisconsin, Trump up four. In five of those states, he flipped them to Joe Biden. So, and I'm not saying that Ohio doesn't belong in there. That should be, uh, I don't think you could put that in the Republican Party just because it's been there of late. So this is a role. And the, but the one with Republican momentum behind it is Nikki Haley. Numbers are going up and not booming up because she has not found a way to convert the Trump voter to her. She has gotten the disenchanted, the independents, the undecideds. That's why she's moving for now past DeSantis. But she, I don't think she's touched the Trump voter and converted them. Meanwhile, the judge and the Trump trial in Washington, well, Jack Smith said, I don't want to hear a late appeal on my conviction that I'm going to get in Washington on the January 6th events and the role that Donald Trump played in them. So what I want to do is ask the Supreme Court right away if the sitting president at the time, Donald Trump, was immune from prosecution. He believes he is not. And he wants the ruling now. So just in case he comes down and they want perhaps him to be found guilty in a Washington-centric jury, I'm sure it will be, all Democrats, they'll say, yeah, you don't bother appealing because the Supreme Court already did it. So maybe they get to put him in jail, which is the only – maybe these numbers even grow beyond this in terms of success. So I'm I'm amazed. I was talking to Kaylee McEnany, too, on the set today, former press secretary for Donald Trump. And I said, a year and a half ago, if I told you all these trials would be resulting in these charges and four indictments and the president would be out there competing, former president be out there having to deal with that, civil trials and this, would you have said he'd be up by all this? She said, absolutely not. So nobody quite gets it, but we note it. But just notice, too, that Donald Trump is – a little bit happier than he's been of late. And that's going to be the key. Be a happy warrior. Go out there. Yeah, I got four cases coming up. Don't, I don't say what country's in decline. I don't like that Governor DeSantis says that. Our country needs to, uh, needs to recalibrate, needs to recharge, and needs to rejuvenate. Here's what we got going. Here's what we don't. We're going to have to work a little bit harder. We're all going to have to put in a little bit more time. When it comes to school, we got, I got a plan to catch our kids up. Right now, we're, I guess we're 27th in the world. What do you say we get to 15 in five years? You think we can do that? I got a plan to help you since the pandemic. Don't even blame Biden for shutting the country down. I got a plan to help you. I got a plan to get inflation down. Now, by the way, the Fed came out yesterday. I don't have a connection to the Fed, but they announced no rate increase. Okay, that's good news. And then they said, we'll most likely have decreases next year. If that is in an outward case for the Fed to play a role in this election, I don't know what is. But if you're looking to sell a house, you're going to buy a house, you're worried about your credit cards, this is all great news. So for President Trump, he's saying, just remember how good I had it. And I am, he is definitely heartened by how good his polls are. Cut 25. The big new Des Moines, Iowa uh, register poll. I mean, it's a big, beautiful poll. I never liked it too much until uh, about two days ago. (laughs) They're left-leaning, the Des Moines Register, or would you say slightly? (laughs) He goes very left. They're not so happy with this result, I don't think. But they are left. No, but they have a great pollster, actually. Very, uh, very powerful pollster. Very good, uh, talented pollster. Of course, if my numbers were bad, I wouldn't be saying that. They have a 
I'd say, they have a terrible pulse. So she doesn't know. She, she, she doesn't know what she's doing. But no, she's very good. So we're watching Nikki Haley move up in, in uh, New Hampshire. And she's solid third, but far from Trump. And Trump has just noticed that people like Ken Langone, people like the Koch brothers, uh, the co-founder of LinkedIn, who's not going to vote for him, is going to put in a whole lot of money in because she, she thinks that she's more beatable for Joe Biden. Having said that, Donald Trump said this about the so-called Haley surge. Cut 26. So we're leading with 51 percent, while Ron DeSanctimonious is at less than 19 and Haley is at 60. What happened to the Haley surge? So she goes up two points. I go up, I think, 10 points, nine or 10 points. And they say that's the Trump surge. But they don't want to say that. (laughs) I don't know. People say it. You've been leading for a while. So that's just it. And I was talking to Kevin McCarthy yesterday. You'll hear some of that interview. I did his last interview before he leaves the Capitol. And and he was saying, uh, he says, that, you know, Trump's been leading this whole time. And he's just telling him, be positive. Talk about restoring America. Don't talk about retribution with America. And I said, what do you think? He goes, I don't know if he heard me or not, but I'm going to say it. I think that he joined, if he wins, he's one of the first people named to Trump's cabinet. He'll be invaluable. Because he understands Trump, he understands the Capitol, he understands foreign policy. He also has the experience of seeing Trump interact and Biden interact, um, very friendly with the Bushes. Here's, here's the other side. You got Joe Biden who can't get out of his own way, literally can't get out of his own way. He looks more fragile every day. He's got the drama of his son's uh, ineptness uh, right, on the Senate, uh, right on the Senate footsteps. And David Axelrod said this about uh, the current president's chances, cut 28. The Wall Street Journal poll was, you know, very, very dark in terms from a Biden standpoint, Uh, you know, job approval down, ratings generally down. Most of the comparatives with Trump, not good. What I worry about you guys from a Biden standpoint is Um, These are the kind of things you get when people are starting to rationalize their votes. So he got an expletive thrown his direction from Joe Biden when he came out and said what he said. So listen, guys, KQAM, you you know I'm going to be in Kansas, in Wichita, Kansas on Sunday, signing Teddy and Booker T. I want to see everybody out there. Also, don't forget Friday night in Mulhall, Pennsylvania. That is tomorrow and Saturday night. In beautiful Holland, Michigan, BrianKillMe.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, with me right now is Tamar Jacoby. It's the director of the new Ukraine Project at the Progressive Policy Institute. Uh, And Tamar, I think that uh, it's such an important time in the war with Russia. I see Vladimir Putin all boistering, uh, talking about how the West is losing interest. And maybe I watched um, uh, the other, the, the previous president come out. Uh, Medvedev come out and say, maybe we'll leave a few Ukraine, the rump of a country, let leave be their capital. But that's not the reality on the ground. Maybe Ukraine hasn't pushed back as far with the counteroffensive. But what they've done head to head with Russia has been extraordinary overall, correct? 
That's correct. I mean, at the beginning, people thought Ukraine was going to be, which going to would have to cave in three days. We're coming up on two years. It's been a long, hard, bloody struggle, and as you say, the counteroffensive hasn't gone as well as some hoped. But Ukraine is still here, still alive. I'm in Kiev. People are in bars and restaurants. Life goes on. Uh, what are you doing in Kiev? I'm doing my work. I'm, I'm writing about what's happening here. So you're covering it all. Uh, Zelensky, well, no, the, no, no. one of the criticisms, one of the criticisms of Zelensky is he's not having elections. To me, it makes no it makes perfect sense. You're in the middle of a war where you literally the the future of the country is at stake. But do you think that he should try to go do more to assuage Western worries about becoming a dictatorship? He should be aware of Western attitudes, of course, and he should be careful not to overstep his bounds in any kind of authoritarian way. But it's not a time for elections. Nobody in the country particularly wants elections. Um, most of Ukraine's good friends in Brussels and Washington understand that elections would be unrealistic. A fifth of the territory is under foreign control, and you can't guarantee the safety of polling places in any other part of the territory. How are you going to campaign? How are people going to vote? Nobody thinks it makes sense to hold, except people. I suppose, who want to depose him, thinks it makes sense to hold elections in the short term. He, he should be careful. You know, we, don't take on the, the powers of martial law, you know, beyond what you need to do. But that doesn't require holding elections in the middle of a war. Right. So tomorrow, the word is from from uh, outside reporting is that the uh, the country is still determined, resilient, but getting worn out from this. How would you characterize that- it? That's exactly right. The the mark, the mood darkened really noticeably this fall as people sort of took in that the counteroffensive hadn't gone as well as they'd hoped and that U.S. and European aid were in doubt. But that doesn't mean people can stop. I mean, it, you know, we look, the West looks from outside and says, well, gee, that swimmer who's drowning, he's not doing too well. You know, maybe we don't want to dive in to save him. But the swimmer doesn't stop. He keeps swimming as long as he can. And they're still swimming and people are still determined. They're, you know, they're tired and they're working. Worried, but there's, but they, they have no choice. Russia is not going to sit. I mean, we can we can say we can sit in Washington and say they should negotiate, but Russia isn't going to negotiate. Russia smells potential victory, whether on the battlefield or because Trump becomes president. They're not going to sit down and negotiate anything today. And Ukraine doesn't want to negotiate with an enemy that they think wants to gobble them up. True. Uh, in terms of the fighting force. They say that the Ukrainians have wiped out 90 percent of the original invading army of Russia, has killed over 300,000 Russian troops, exposed them in many ways. But they're adjusting somewhat to the battlefield. How real is the tactical friction between the U.S. and Ukrainians? I think it's real. I'm not I don't cover that. I'm not a strategic or military expert, but I think that it's widely reported that there have been differences about how, you know, US had kind of an idealized plan and the Ukrainians said we're here on the ground and that idealized plan isn't going so well. We have to do it a different way. And the Ukrainians didn't always have the capability. I think some of the western planners sort of imagined, you know, NATO troops in the in the on these in the front. Ukraine has a very resilient, brave army, but they're 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 not necessarily trained to the standards a lot of them are civilians, you know, who signed up last week. They're not necessarily trained to the standards that I think some NATO, you know, plan or American planners had expected. Here is uh, here is uh, Zelensky talking about funding the war. It's not about financing. It's about the morality. The most problem, the biggest problem, when you don't support Ukraine, 
yeah, that people on the front line, families which are waiting for their heroes at home, that they think that the United States doesn't support Ukraine and that Ukraine is alone, yes, defending our common values for United States and Europe. That is the problem, to kick our morality. So he is trying to make it this fight, and I think it's legitimate, bigger. Yeah, that's important. Morale is important, but they actually need the weapons to keep fighting. It's not just about, like, we'll feel better if we get the weapons. We won't feel alone. The battle will end soon, and they will lose, and we will lose if, if they don't get the continued aid. It's, yes, it's morale, but it's about much more than morale. Uh, so what is your case, uh, Tamar Jacoby? What is your case for staying the course in Ukraine? If, if if Ukraine loses, the United States loses. We've staked two years of global leadership on this. Our credibility is at stake. If Ukraine loses, tyrants around the world, China, North Korea, Iran will say, oh, look at that. Look what they got away with. The West won't stand, look what Russia got away with. The West won't stand up to us if we do something similar. And, um, you know, Putin will start plotting his next steps. In Europe, you know, it might not start with troops in in the Baltic nations, but it'll start with cyber attacks and other plans. He he wants to get the Russian Empire back, and it doesn't end with Ukraine. And if he can gobble up Ukraine, he's going to start to say, "What's the next bite of the apple?" And that's that. Those are losses for the United States, not just too too bad. Gee, we lost Ukraine. That's a that's a hit on us. Yeah, I understand. So J.D. Vance has been a critic of this operation from day one. I agree with him on most things, but here's his point of view. It's utterly disgraceful. We're about to go through the United States Senate tomorrow, a very undignified process where Zelensky comes to town and demands that you give him, the American taxpayer gives him another $61 billion. And oh, by the way, if you want to secure your border first, you are actually a Putin puppet. He said this publicly today. I think it's disgraceful. I think it's grotesque. And I think that it comes at a time, Laura, when Republicans are actually showing some unity and some courage about the importance of the American southern border. So you've heard this before. I've heard this before. It's not a trade-off. We can secure our border and defend our interests in the world across the ocean. We have enough money for that. We have the capability to walk and chew gum at the same time. I don't know. I don't really understand what drives J.D. Vance, because I agree. I agree with him on a lot of other things, too. But I think this is one of those cases where if Biden is for it, he has to be against it. And this, you know, Biden, Biden, this will be a defeat for Biden, if it's a, as it will be a defeat for the U.S. if Ukraine loses. And I think, I guess, I don't know, J.D. Vance must be relishing that. Hard to understand what his thinking. It does. All right. So thanks so much. I appreciate it. Tamar Jacoby, uh, pick up his column, Why the U.S. Must Stay the Course in Ukraine. Uh, and he's the director of the New Ukraine Project, the Progressive Policy. Tomorrow, I'm hearing some encouraging thing about some type of deal at the border that looks substantial. I talked to Senator Lankford today. That, of course, would include billions for Ukraine. I am 100 percent with you. The importance of this fight is real. And I am one pre- person very impressed with Zelensky. Thanks, Tamar. Thank you for the opportunity. one 408 When we come back, we'll talk about that. I also do want to talk uh, about our border and the deal that could be in the making And the probability that now I believe Joe Manchin will jump in this race. No joke. Let's listen. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What are you hoping to gain from an impeachment inquiry? All I can see is Donald J. Trump 2024. Joe Biden was involved in his in his son's business dealing that I think the American people are looking at as well. So I think all that together is why you see the numbers where they're at. This has been, I think, the most transparent uh, political or uh, 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 congressional investigation since since I've been in Congress. They say the quiet part out loud. They've been doing that That's for a long time. That the, when the guy, when the one congressman from Texas walks by and says, "All I can say is Trump 2024, baby." Well, there it is, right? That's the whole point of this exercise: yeah. to somehow to dent in some way Joe Biden, even though they've shown no evidence of it. Okay. I find that interesting. Eric uh, found this on on MSNBC, obviously. This is basically what I said to start the show. You're not going to get an impeachment. Even if somebody, even if Joe Biden was Hunter Biden doing crack with hookers, if you can't get Democrats to sign off on it, like Republicans signed off on Nixon, you're wasting your time. I watched two farcical, uh, ridiculous impeachments. Um, I would the second one, January 6th, he had two days left and you're trying to impeach him. You're giving a bunch of speeches. America is in the middle of this uh, controversial election after January 6th and you have to go and quickly impeach him. It didn't work. The Ukraine call was not an impeachable offense. No one will ever convince me of that. Now you know that there was actually some substance there. We knew there was substance there. And I don't defend Rudy Giuliani's actions, walking around, throwing his weight around foolishly and down there. Got it. So I think that Willie Geis is right. But it's not political as in wrong. You know what political is? MAGA Republicans, extremist Republicans. You're trying to get a buzz term to be negative. When you, uh, for a while, the word liberal was considered a negative moniker uh, when George Bush was running for president. Not as bad as MAGA Republican, extremist MAGA, extremist MAGA. That's political. But they're, what's true, they're trying to say, look. We want to expose what took place, what he was involved with, how he did not tell the truth in 2020. And in order to get that, to compel the people who matter most that have the answers to come forward, I need to get an impeachment inquiry in order to have the power to bring these people in and know that there'll be ramifications if you don't come in or if you do lie. So do I think they're doing an impeachment inquiry to get an impeachment? Not unless something comes out like they open up a secret drawer in, uh, and they got Menendez like gold bars in the floorboards of his uh, of his Corvette, something to that extent. But what they're going to expose piece by piece is that Joe was all over this, that his trade was done because of this, that money was transferring back and forth, and they were smart enough not to put it in Joe's account. But they also knew that Joe was the reason. And if you could link it to the change in policy, for example, yesterday, Jim Jordan brought up for the first time. That I can remember, he said, you know, right after this Moscow mayor's meeting, the, the richest woman in Moscow uh, that the Biden family is all part of, that I think she met in, in Washington, D.C., I could be mistaken, at that Cafe Milano. Russia invaded Ukraine and just took it. They know about that. And then, as Kevin McCarthy told me on a separate question yesterday, as soon as that invasion took place, he said he called Vice President Biden because he was told he's in charge of the portfolio. And he said, give them javelins. They're going to move in with tanks. These javelins are just sitting in our coffers. Let them take out these tanks. And Joe Biden recommended to President Obama, they do not, don't escalate it, give them MREs and blankets. And he was, Obama, it's such a hideous decision. 
It laid the groundwork for a further invasion, nonstop fighting in the Donbass region, and then ultimately the invasion. So, is it coincidence? Or did something happen that allowed Joe Biden to make money and the Russians pick up a a third of a country? I don't know. But if you're going to vote and you really don't know who to vote for, and you thought that Donald Trump was compromised with Vladimir Putin, it turns out he wasn't, just kind of liked him, and I don't know why he likes him, but he does. I hate to tell you, FDR kind of likes Stalin. No one in modern times killed more people than Stalin, mostly his own people. You know, Truman didn't trust him, but Truman didn't have the hatred that most people would if they lived there. So I understand where they're coming from. Say, yeah, it's pure politics, pure politics. But it's pure politics because you're doing a legitimate investigation that lines up with real people, real testimony, real accusations, real facts that move an investigation forward that further help you decide who to vote for. In that case, it's political. So with all this swirling around on four indictments for Trump, and then you have the impeachment inquiry on Biden, the son making his dramatic statements yesterday. You wonder, is this an opportunity for an RFK or a Joe Manchin? Joe Manchin seems to be up making that move. Here he's with Sean Hannity last night, cut 29. First, let me just say I'll never be a spoiler. I will never be a spoiler trying to throw the race one way or the other if it would be advantage or disadvantage. That's not who I am. If I get into a race, I get into it to win. But basically going around, people feel homeless right now. They've been pushed to the extremes. Both parties have gone to the extremes. The Democrat and Republican parties are being kind of controlled and driven by the extreme right and extreme left. That's not who we are as a country. It's not how we became a country. And it's not how we remain the superpower of the world with the rest of the country or the rest of the world following us. So I'm going to go out and talk to people to find out what they believe needs to be done. They'll make the decision, not me or anybody else. I think he's, I mean, I, I would not be on, he would not be on Sean Hannity's show. I think it's maybe the second or third time ever if he wasn't really thinking about running and knowing that I can't run unless I get Republican support. Here's more. Cut 30. I think that every American, if you're in a position to help your country and you don't come forward when you think we're on a wrong trajectory, then, you know, shame on you. I would do whatever I can to help my country. And right now, I think unless we're able to bring the extremes back to the middle, and if the extremes don't come to the middle, make sure the middle is able to dominate. That's where I'm looking at. But basically, No Labels has always been a group that's looked for a balanced venue that we could bring Democrats and Republicans that felt homeless. I've been there since 2010. I understand where they're coming from. So uh, there's this Republicans that just hate Trump. And there's people like David Axelrod who know that President Biden can't win or most likely is not going to win and shouldn't have the job for another four years. So where do they go? I I don't think Democrats like Joe Manchin at all, at all. West Virginians don't like Joe Manchin more than any other Democrat, but Jim Justice would trounce him. That's why he got out. And Republicans don't trust him because there's some things he votes for and some things he doesn't, some things he says he won't do and some things he does. What I think he's going to do, though, is make the debate interesting if he's on stage like Ross Perot was on stage. Remember that. John uh, Stockdale, who was a war hero who kind of lost it at the end, was on stage in the vice presidential debate. So if Joe Manchin can get on these ballots and on stage, it changes the dynamic. Number one, they just steamroll Joe Biden. So the one other thing, pure politics. I'm happy about this, but I just see politics in this. Jerome Powell, 
who I think was too slow to raise rates, experts say, because he was trying to make sure he got another uh, got renewed by Joe Biden. Now is coming out, knows the economy has been slumping, forget the numbers, knows that inflation is still going up, but not nearly as fast. He came out and basically said, expect three cuts next year. The market went up 500 points. Cut 32. I think you can say that there's little basis for thinking that the economy is in a recession now. Um, I would say that. I think there's there's always a probability uh, that that there will be a recession in the next year. And it's a meaningful pro- probability no matter what the economy is doing. So it's always a real possibility. The question is, is, is it so, – so it's a possibility here. So he went on to say that, you know, they like what they're seeing right now. And as much as recession is a possibility, cutting rates would free up and really unfreeze a lot of the real estate market for sure, ease people up on their debt and their credit cards have a ripple effect around. And of course, if inflation goes up again, you did it too quick. But if you go ahead and say you're going to cut rates and you do it this year in election year, it's hard to think it's not political. From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here from Midtown Manhattan. A lot of festivities around us. we got the great Fox Christmas tree at 1211. And then the other tree, I guess you could call it real. I'm usually pro-real tree, but I think our tree is better. We have an all-American Christmas tree in Rockefeller Plaza. That's another tree you just look at. Uh, you know what's pretty amazing is when we first started putting our tree up, just a handful of people come down. Now we have the music out there and people really come by and you get into the spirit of the season. Nobody, no residue of the pandemic. We're just having a good time. Nobody's lighting it on fire, which is certainly a relief. Just having a good time. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Matthew Continenti. He's the director of domestic policy studies at AEI and founding editor and editor in chief of the Washington Free Beacon. Real insightful guy. There's things moving on Capitol Hill that could show we can get some more funding as well as border changes. Changes. I know. We just don't want money. We want changes. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Wall Street Journal poll was, you know, very, very dark in term, from a Biden standpoint. Job approval down. Ratings generally down. Most of the comparatives with Trump, not good. David Axelrod, not winning over the Biden team, but being honest, I think he's trying to get him to drop out. I don't know who would step up. Heating up. That's what's happening right now on the Republican side as Governor Haley gets momentum and Trump climbs in the polls. But there's still no sign anyone can take a Trump voter. Haley's creating her own and getting anti-Trump. But can she collect a Trump voter? So far, it's just the haters and Joe's woes grows. Number two. Yes, there are disputes about the day after Hamas, and I hope we will reach an agreement here as well. I will not let Israel repeat the Oslo mistake. We will not bring into Gaza those who educate terrorism, support terrorism, finance terrorism. There you go. Uh, Hunter, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel at war. Yesterday they lost 10 members of the IDF. I think it's their bloodiest day since the Gaza war started. Also a rift is emerging between Biden and the prime minister, Netanyahu. And here domestically, you're now targeting Jerry Seinfeld, you pro-Hamas protesters, you idiots. Number one. My father was not financially involved in my business. 
not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad. Right. Financial involved. Financially involved. It's me and the big guy. Hunter shows up on the wrong side of the Capitol and claims the high road versus House Republicans looking to unmask the Biden's family business, all based on the president's last name and his position. Hunter played the victim and, in my view, the coward. There's just no question about it. I mean, I was a little surprised. I know you probably, if you've been following the news, you saw it. But for the most part, he showed up and says, you've been harassing, ruining my life, harassing my family. How dare you link me to my father? I don't know. The voicemail said my father, the text message on the WhatsApp said my father's sitting right next to me when you're trying to shake down a business, a Chinese businessman. When your father showed up at Cafe Milano to meet with your business practices. When your father called in to your Kazakhstan meeting and your Moscow mayor meeting. Maybe that's the reason why some crazy people like James Comer and Jim Jordan and everybody with a head on their shoulders know there's a lot there. But now you went from I have no idea about my son's overseas business dealings, Mr. President, to never financially involved. Really. I come down to what's the product, people? What is the product? But as usual, Hunter Biden tries to play the victim. That's what addicts do a lot of the time. And he did not show up behind closed doors. He says he wants to do it publicly. Now, some people say, what's the big deal with publicly? I have a huge problem with publicly because five minutes, you filibuster my answer. Five minutes, Eric Swalwell comes up and talks about how, tell me about the struggles of beating crack. Tell me about how hard it was telling these hookers you ran out of money. Uh, Some of those stories. Here's Hunter Biden. Here's how I know it's pure politics. Listen to the buzz term. Cut five. For six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House committees who are in a closed-door session session right now, have impugned my character, invaded my privacy, attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. They've ridiculed my struggle with addiction. They've belittled my recovery. And they have tried to dehumanize me, all to embarrass and damage my father, who has devoted his entire public life to service. Right. He worked for the Peace Corps, and then he went over to UNICEF. Uh, He dug wells for people. And along the way, became a public figure who lived off the dime and somehow had a bunch of houses. Now, they were saying we and the people, right-wing Republicans, what they really meant was Kennedy. Uh, they were really it was really you uh, right, and, and just and I was going to say that whether you're here or not in a ranger sweater. Uh, Kennedy is here. She's going to be on outnumbered later. But this is why you came to work. Yes, I had to refute these charges that Hunter Biden has been leveling against me, impugning my character, my pristine reputation. I have lived my life for the public. Right. In service of the public. Exactly. And I would I would appreciate it. Thank you. And what, what about blaming? Instead, forget about it. Thank you. You got to blame somebody. Blame somebody. Yeah. I, but, I blame them. Them. Yes. Whoever they are. This is just their. Earlier this week on Moby's podcast, little teeny tiny Moby. Remember Techno Moby? So cute and little. Um, so he has a podcast. Uh, he said that Republicans were trying to kill him, not metaphorically. No, kill trying, him. trying to kill him. Right. As a way of hurting his father so deeply that he would be incapable of functioning moving forward. 
which was one of the craziest things I ever heard until I heard, I read it. I thought it was crazy. And I thought mm-hmm. I probably misread that. Then I heard it. Mm-hmm. We heard it back. And then yesterday's press conference, you know, the hard thing about doing a radio show uh, during live breaking news is trying to interpret it without closed caption. So I'm reading lips and using my lips. You're it's quite good at that. Right. <laughs> I've never seen uh, its equal. It's a lot of lip movement. Really is. Really is. Yeah. It's how so, you, you built your empire. And then to see uh, to see it unfold, he calls a press conference on the Senate side. I didn't know the significance of it until later. And then you guys probably were done on the air. And then I didn't realize it didn't show up. I'm saying, what are you calling a press conference for? And it looked a little chaotic. And at the beginning, they just gradually got madder. And they said, wait, he's not showing up. He shows up, gives a speech, gets back in the car and says, there you go. I uh, I showed up. Here I am. Yeah. And the wrong place, as usual. <laughs> not testifying under oath, just blathering and not taking questions. Right. I'm surprised because it wasn't that he was, she was it's not like he wasn't hearing them from Hillary Vaughn was yes. uh, was just yelling them out, which is interesting therapy. Is that a therapy? Do you think when you are struggling or stressed, yelling out questions and not getting them answered? Is it therapeutic to just yell out yeah, stuff? It's very calming for people. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's very soothing. I mean, between uh, Peter Ducey and Hillary uh, Vaughn yesterday chasing down the president and his son, they had 12 unanswered questions. Oh, wow. Right. That's that's a pretty high ratio. <laughs> I would like two of them answered. Right. I got, he's got none. They got none of them. Yeah, and it's like Joe Biden's like, yeah, they're all lies. <laughs> See? So, so you know what we should do? You're lying, dog-faced pony soldier. Right. Come on, man. He's still holding on to that. He really is. So, Eric, can you play for Kennedy, because you like her, uh, a little from Morning Joe with Willie Geis? What are you hoping to gain from an impeachment inquiry? All I can see is Donald J. Trump 2024, baby. Joe Biden was involved in his his son's business dealing that I think the American people are looking at as well. So I think all that together is why you see the numbers where they're at. This has been, I think, the most transparent uh, political or, or, or congressional investigation since since I've been in Congress. They say the quiet part out loud. They've been doing that That's for a long time. That the, when the guy, when the one congressman from Texas walks by and says, "All I can say is Trump 2024, baby," well, there it is, right? That's the whole point of this exercise: yeah. to somehow to dent in some way Joe Biden, even though they've shown no evidence of it. Come on, Willie. Willie Willie Geist is better than that. He's my neighbor. I like him. I've known him for some time. But that is just partisan hackery. He's better than that. And, you know, it's like don't deliver Democrat talking points when you are a journalist. And and Willie's not even known for being an opinion journalist. He's like, did you ever watch his Sunday morning program? It's it's fun. It's it's light. Yeah. Here you go. But he's on Morning Joe every day. No, I know. Yeah. So so what I was trying to say and my point is I would – if I'm – by the way, if I'm a Republican, just be a little smarter about it. Don't say it's Trump 2024. Okay, and I agree with you completely there. That was really stupid. That's an unforced error. And Tom McClintock, the Republican congressman from California, he was the one who said Democrats' impeachment inquiries against Donald Trump were so – lacking let's not have them be our teachers and also the shrillest voices should not be listened to because they undermine a a legitimate and credible effort and this is what he's talking about this is completely unhelpful because what you have to do is if the president has engaged in so much corrupt wrongdoing and he has to be removed you have to make that case and you have to make that case to nonpartisans and independents, and really frustrated Democrats. It can't just be a group of loud Republicans. 
I um, so tell me if this is on on par with you. Then he, they're not going to impeach him unless something extraordinary happens. He's not going to get impeached. I so this is what I've been saying. They have to wait until they have more. They're getting more, and and sometimes. It is a, a piecemeal gathering where they get a, a little bit more every time they get those bank records and go through them. They're obviously, you know, they are building their case. I don't think their case is quite there yet. And it, it's not to the point because you have a party line vote. All it takes is a few Republicans to peel off because at this at this point, you're not going to peel off Democrats, even ones in conservative or moderate districts who are facing an uphill reelection battle. So unless you have something where you need something aggressive, no full of cash from the Chinese, you're going to need something more. But what I think is worth it is to investigate. There's not no evidence. Right. You just need more evidence. Right. And, and I understand the point of an impeachment inquiry. It is a it opens a more formal mechanism to compel documents and testimony to make that case. But. You know, like a good prosecutor, you have to be sure that the evidence exists in order to achieve a conviction. So if you ask people in 2020, uh, do you believe that President Biden was involved in his, the vice president Biden at the time was involved in his son's overseas business? Like, no, I don't think so. What about that laptop? Well, it didn't really exist. That's fake. There's, it's Russian disinformation. Yeah. Someone got into that laptop and put all that stuff there. And we a, we it, know that. Not to be the case. It's been it's been a while, but one of those studies said that 60 percent of the people might have changed their vote had they thought that laptop was real and he was doing real international business uh, while Anthony, the vice president. Anthony Blinken knew that. That's why he put the whole thing together with the Mike Morrell. Yeah. In order to get intelligence officials to sign off on right. a group document saying this has all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Anthony Blinken orchestrated all of this because he knew full well how stupid some of the choices were that Hunter Biden had made and how those choices could easily compromise his dad's election. And we know his Anthony Blinken's all over the emails with mm-hmm. Hunter Biden. They're friends. Yeah. And, and, and he's they probably better friends with Hunter than his dad. years. Yeah. And Jake Sullivan, by the way, as despicable and diabolical when it came to the Russia hoax, too. So you should know these main players uh, were scoundrels. So I want to just see the answers. At the very least, so, you know, when it goes to impeachment, they say, well, he's exo- if you don't call for impeachment, he's exonerated. Not really. Who would ex- who would look at this case and exonerate him? No, it is it is not. You can't completely lack. So it just in evidence. helps the voter helps yeah. the voter decide. Do you does he deserve four more years from what you've seen? And now that you know he looked you in the eye at those debates and he looked you in the eye one week ago and he said all lies. Yes, and he lied. What else is he lying about? Yeah, those are truck payments. They couldn't get a loan for trucks. Ding ding ding. Um, yeah, he's that's a thing. He, there is so much more. The, the entire aura and the career are built on a foundation of lies. I don't know what imitation of Joe Biden is better, yours or Tom Shalhoub. <laughs> Tom Shalhoub. So the thing I love about Tom Shalhoub. You just started going ding, Biden, ding, ding, ding. ding, ding, ding. Um, the thing about Tom Shalhoub's impression that I love is now that's the impression they do on SNL. They do an impression of Tom Shalhoub doing Joe Biden. Really? That's how you know you have a successful impression. Good to know. Yep. Back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Wall Street Journal poll was 
you know, very, very dark in terms from a Biden standpoint, uh, you know, job approval down, ratings generally down. Most of the comparatives with Trump, not good. What I worry about you guys from a Biden standpoint is um, these are the kind of things you get when people are starting to rationalize their votes. So uh, David Axrod, like tells like it is, I find him very interesting to hear from almost all the time. And he is not a Joe Biden fan, but he said that, you know, he did stand by Biden when there was rumors he should be pushed off the ticket for Obama's second tour. Biden evidently used an expletive to describe David Axrod. But now I don't know if you saw this, Kennedy. You are my guest. Hi, hi Brian. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Kennedy, mm-hmm. but there's a new uh, new poll out from Bloomberg. And in seven battleground states, Trump is up, including Wisconsin, was the only one he was upside down in. Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, uh, I mean, Nevada. Oh, I didn't see Nevada on that. Did you see it? Uh, so and he's up. OK, here it is. Uh, Wisconsin, he's up four. Pennsylvania, up two. North Carolina, up nine. Nevada, up three. Michigan, up four. Georgia, up six. Arizona, up four. So he sees his poll and he comments. Why the White House gets mad at this guy? Number one, he's not paid to for anybody's advocate. He's trying. I'm sure he wants every Democrat to win. But do you think there's a strategy behind it, or is he just asked a question on on a show that he has a contract with? Or do you think there's a bigger picture that he's trying to get his party to move on from Joe? No, I think he's one of the few people who is actually kind of thinking about things, and he answers questions uncomfortably sometimes. So he's just doing his job. I don't. I, I mean, he obviously is an operative, and he he knows the the grander plan of the establishment. But he also wants to cut through the clutter, and he knows that if there is a slightly critical voice, more people will pay attention to it. I want you to weigh in on this Israeli the the Gaza war, but I want you to hear Benjamin Netanyahu right now about the rift with the U.S. Cut nineteen. Good. Yes, there are disputes about the day after Hamas, and I hope we will reach an agreement here as well. I want to clarify my position. I will not let Israel repeat the Oslo mistake. After the great sacrifice of our citizens and fighters, we will not bring into Gaza those who educate terrorism, support terrorism, finance terrorism. And the other thing is, is it got to be smarter about fighting this war more precisely in Gaza. And they let that go out publicly, you know, unless Joe Biden had another aneurysm. He said it for everyone to jot down mm-hmm. your thoughts. Um, it, it's very um, there is clearly a rift here, which means that there is a philosophical debate within the Democrat Party and the progressive voices are winning. And they are the ones who have been lobbying President Biden. So you see him slowly drifting to the left on Israel, which runs counter to the lip service that he has paid Netanyahu and the Israeli government since October 7th. They protested Jerry Seinfeld in Syracuse last night because he was pro-Israel. Yes. uh, Well, most people are pro-Israel. You don't have to be Jewish to be pro-Israel. You can be a rational person and look what's going on and appreciate the horrific effects of that terror attack, which is the worst in Israel's history. I made a really good decision to end with Israel with Kennedy. That's I, so fun, right. Brian. Uh, I was just—it was great to have you. Are you going to do outnumbered? You know it. In the Ranger sweater. Absolutely right. All right, hey Brian Kilmeade here. Life without uh, Kennedy will be with Matt Continenti, a poor substitute for this woman.
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we talk Friday, I think. We talk a lot. We've been texting, as I have been with Ron and Chris and Nikki the, through the past couple months. Uh, we talk Friday. And I let her know I'm, I'm all in. I'm on board. Let's get this thing done. And I think it's just going to be a really intense, fun 40 days as you see momentum build, as you see a lot of folks come on board. Everybody's getting engaged here in New Hampshire. Um, this isn't a, an endorsement to say, you know, the governor, uh, I'm, I'm endorsing her, so you have to get behind it. It's everybody is, is getting there. Everyone is realizing that Nikki makes a connection uh, with individuals, not big government solutions. It's pretty awesome. Uh, so that is why, I guess, uh, Governor Sununu is picking Nikki Haley. It's not a surprise to me. I know Chris Christie seems to be somewhat let down. He thought if he was in contention, him and Chris are so tight. Because remember, uh the governor, when he was governor, when Christie was governor of New Jersey, he was running the Governor's Association. He got friendly with just about everybody. So he thought he had a shot at it, but he's going to go with Nikki Haley. I don't think Ron DeSantis and Sununu hit it off so much. So what does it do for this race? Matthew Continenti is director of domestic policy for American Enterprise Institute, columnist and commentary and founding editor of the Washington Free Beacon. Matt, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's great to be here. What changes with that endorsement? We have no polls afterwards. It's only been, I don't know, a day or two. I think it will help Nikki. Uh, it will elevate her profile within New Hampshire, where she's already demonstrated strength. I think it will also help her with the media. The media uh, really likes Governor Sununu, the mainstream media in particular, and so that will get Nikki some earned media and more publicity uh, ahead of New Hampshire. So we'll see what happens. It looks pretty uh, convincing right now for Trump. I mean, he's not shown much vulnerability there. But people say it's such a for a big state, there's not many people. And there's such an independent streak that Iowa could change the complexion of New Hampshire. Do you buy into that? I do. Typically, New Hampshire likes to go in the opposite direction as Iowa. So uh, depending on what the result in is Iowa, where Trump is also strong, according to the latest polling, New Hampshire might say, you know what, we want to make things interesting. And of course, New Hampshire also benefits from crossover voting. And so you could be an independent or a Democrat and decide to vote in the New Hampshire primary, especially since Joe Biden has boycotted the New Hampshire Democratic primary because he wants the Democratic primary race uh, to start in South Carolina. So I think New Hampshire has some unique characteristics that might help Nikki uh, have a big upset uh, next month, even though, as you say, um, it's not looking good for candidates other than Trump right now. So for my humble theory is Haley is getting the hate Trumpers, you know, whoever the number one is, and it looks to be Haley, mm-hmm. although DeSantis, if he's strong out of Iowa, we might be talking about something changing for New Hampshire. If you hate Trump, you have a place to go. If you are disenchanted with Trump, you have a place to go. If you're independent, you have a place to go. But I have not seen anyone say to me, I thought about it. I'm not supporting Trump anymore. I'm going with Haley. If you're with Trump, you're there. She has not peeled off anyone yet. And if if that is correct, is that why she really insults Trump directly, just says right guy then, wrong guy now? She has like subtle jabs rather than strong punches? I think so. It, it's interesting you say – for the people who may be doubting their support for Trump, most – and there aren't many of them, but of that group, they would be inclined to support Ron DeSantis. And so DeSantis has more crossover appeal to Trump voters. The problem is if you're a Trump voter, there's really no reason to abandon him right now. So Haley has been consolidating the non-Trump vote, 
And if Chris Christie were to leave the race in the next month, I'd imagine she would get a big boost from his supporters who clearly aren't going to go to Trump. The problem for her, as you point out, is, is there a ceiling on the non-Trump vote in the GOP? There seems to be. And so if she were to really make this a race, she'd have to start eating in to the Trump vote. And so far, yes, maybe part of it is not going after Trump directly, but that really hasn't paid off. I think what she would have to do is show a little bit broader policy appeal and maybe say that she shares some of the concerns uh, that Trump voters have, especially on questions like entitlement reform, the border and immigration. Here is Trump yesterday. He definitely picked a spot in which Republicans can relate to. Cut 27. It's a horrible thing happening to our country. As we speak, the Biden administration is also negotiating to redistribute billions and billions of dollars in American wealth to other countries through the so-called climate reparation. In other words, we're paying a reparation. They're saying we were so bad that we're paying reparations to other countries. You believe it? You know what that means. That means we are paying for years of abuse to other countries when we've been abused by them. When I'm back in office, all climate reparation payments will be canceled. See, I, I, I think this the, part of the thing that could go by the wayside, I hope, but maybe I'm maybe it's just hope, is that you run on this green stuff, you'll make AOC happy, but that doesn't make up the majority of the country. And uh, this whole uh, here, take an electric car and some subsidies, Ford and those are pushing back. Hey, get those windmills. Let's kill some whales and find out they're too expensive and ineffective. So let's go buy some solar panels. Well, they're made in China. Are you comfortable with that? Let's use an electric car battery where the rare earth will not be mined here, but we'll have to buy it from China. So the, the counter argument to this normal green argument, the Al Gore segment, do you believe the uh, do you believe there's there's diminished opposition on this green movement? Uh, well, for sure. I mean, just look at the consumers, Brian. I mean, people aren't buying the electric vehicles that the government has thrown so much money at. Consumers prefer hybrids or they prefer the normal gasoline-powered autos. That's the revealed preference of the American consumer, and I think it shows up in voting as well. This green energy transition is a scam. It's clearly a scam. Other countries know it. They're trying to get money off the United States, kind of like Trump just said, and plenty of well-connected Democrats know it, too. And so they're all invested in the solar and the wind in order to make money for themselves. I I think this is a powerful issue for any Republican candidate, American energy dominance. And it's not just drilling. It's also nuclear. It's also new technologies, batteries. You can embrace a all of the above energy agenda and an anti-regulatory agenda. And I think really make waves with voters. Trump knows that. That's why he seized on the issue. And he's very clever politician because he combined this critique of the green energy transition with this idea of reparations. And people hate the idea of paying reparations for whether it's slavery or whether it's climate or whether it's whatever liberals accuse America of doing. So it's a smart move by Trump, but one that could also be replicated, I think, by Republican candidates across the country. Absolutely. So I want you to hear, so you're looking at these numbers. I'm sure you saw the Bloomberg poll today in every battleground state. Uh, Trump is leading. I'm talking about Arizona, talking about Nevada, talking about Michigan. Uh, We're talking about Georgia. Uh, We are uh, also discussing Pennsylvania. One or two point, two points the least. I've never I never thought I'd say anything like it, because with all the with all the indictments and all the charges and all the controversy, how they jump on Trump and some media outlets not looking to interview him. He's looks stronger than he was in 2016 by a mile. 
So I want you to hear what David Axelrod said. Cut 28. The Wall Street Journal poll was, you know, very, very dark in terms from a Biden standpoint. Uh, You know, job approval down, ratings generally down. Most of the comparatives with Trump, not good. What I worry about you guys from a Biden standpoint is um, these are the kind of things you get when people are starting to rationalize their votes. It's getting late early, he's trying to say. And remember, when he was critical last week, the White House behind closed doors was ripping him. But he's not backing away. Do you think he is trying to fix it? Or do you think he's just being paid to analyze and he's analyzing? Do you think he's trying to get a new candidate? Or do you think he's just saying, just calling it like he sees it? Well, I don't know what Axelrod is doing behind the scenes. But I think there's no question he feels is that Biden is in serious danger. And that another Democratic candidate might have a more plausible path to defeating Donald Trump. I think Axelrod's completely right about his assessment. All of these poll numbers we're seeing, it's not so much that Trump is strong. Trump is kind of where he always is. It's that Biden is weak. Biden is incredibly weak because Americans are suffering with this high price, high interest rate economy. And Americans are looking out at the world, Brian, and they're seeing chaos everywhere. And that is helping Trump. So Biden is the problem here, and there's nothing that it seems to me the White House is doing to fix this problem. Axelrod is right. I think that Democrats might have a better chance with a different candidate. But, you know, the clock is ticking. There's not much more time to have a a change of uh, horse in this race, and that's why Trump is dominating. So now uh, you tell me, Matt, I like your contacts better on Washington, (laughs) but what I hear is – they're getting close on a massive bill and dare I say, get it done. So, you know, they need the money for the hotspots in the world, the Taiwans, the Ukraines and Israel. And they said not without any immigration reform. And I'm talking about asylum changes. So they want 50 billion for Ukraine. They're thinking about four billion for Homeland Security to expand holding facilities. But most of all, they are actually entertaining a Title 42 style policy change, some type version of remain in Mexico to eliminate the humanitarian parole that will allow Afghans and Ukrainians, for example, to get in, implement a rapid return away policy to force Mexico to take everybody right away and change asylum to get to be specific, to make it harder to get in, period. Senator Langford told us this morning on Fox and Friends, if you start surging at the border like you did yesterday and got another 10,000, just shut it down. I don't care if it's the next the next uh, Einstein trying to come through the border. It's shut down. So mm-hmm. let us have that mechanism, that fail-safe mechanism, almost like the Army Corps of Engineers puts up, let alone finish the wall. If some of this stuff goes in, what would would you be shocked? Am I is this all for you? Would you be stunned if they agreed to all this? I would not be stunned <clears throat> if the Biden administration gets to a deal with the Republican Senate on the border. I, and I think that Biden is willing to concede quite a bit more than most Democrats would be willing, because he understands, as you say, Brian, the border is a huge issue. And it's one of the reasons, in addition to the economy and chaos of abroad, that he's doing so badly in these polls. My concern is that even if the Senate Republicans and the Senate Democrats agree to a Biden broker deal for the Ukraine money and changes at the border, I don't know if that's going to be enough to pass the U.S. House, where the Republicans are more set against 
Ukraine aid and more uh, have higher demands for what's going on in the border. So even if they come to an agreement, I would just caution everybody that doesn't mean we're going to see changes at right. the border and the aid to Ukraine. So you think that, for example, if if the Senate Democrats sign off on it, you would think the Senate, would, the House Democrats will. So you're right, saying that if them. Johnson realizes that the majority of Republican House members don't go for this, even though it would pass, he wouldn't put it forward. Well, the issue is, would he take the risk of putting it forward in the House where it would command two-thirds support? And I think it oh, would Oh, two-thirds it does? Two-thirds I didn't know support. that. Yes, yes. So you can do a separate rule uh, to pass the bill. That's what he's doing with the defense bill today, as you know. And so if he decided, I'm going to do that for this deal, he would lose some Republicans, but probably not all of them. And he'd lose some Democrats. He doesn't really care about the Democrats. Hakeem Jeffries would lose some Democrats, but not all of them. And it might be enough to pass the House. However, that would mean that Johnson would be, again, risking a rebellion in his own ranks just because the the coalition in the Republican Mm. House is so narrow and so thin. But Speaker Johnson might decide to get these changes through in the border and to get the aid to Ukraine, which he says he supports, he'd be willing to put his job at risk. I think so, too. Uh, You know what? He's probably looking around going, do I really want this job? It's it's (laughs) so thankless. I was with Kevin McCarthy yesterday and he was telling me all the different things you could do to get this stuff passed and that they put themselves in trouble by isolating this in a simple supplemental package, knowing uh, that there were some people against certain portions, whether it was Israel or whether it was Ukraine or who knows, even Taiwan. So you need to have experience to do this job. And I think Johnson might be realizing that now, especially with this raucous caucus that he has that just does not care about anything except for their I guess their TV time. I don't. I don't even understand what they're doing uh, for some of them because I don't think they learned anything from the embarrassment of those twenty-two days and those fifteen rounds. Do you? No, I, I think uh, for the raucous caucus, as you put it, that was a victory, getting rid of McCarthy, and they feel empowered. But the issue is, are Republicans going to go to the country tomorrow, uh, next year rather, with an agenda and with some results, or do they want to go to the country and say, look? Everything's broken, and we didn't do much to fix it. I think for most voters, they want to hear results and an agenda. And I think that's what Speaker Johnson understands. The problem is he has so little room to maneuver, and so he might have to take a big risk uh, to show results and to show that the Republicans have an agenda for 2024. Matt, thanks so much. Matthew Condonetti, appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Hey, when we come back, uh, how you could see me tomorrow night and Saturday. Also, we'll take your calls. one 408 Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Can Republicans prove all that? It's up to their investigation. They have to conduct the investigation that they want to conduct. I'm sorry. So you're not prove it. They prove it. uh, So you're not sure about that question that. Yeah. I mean, the Republicans, they're they're conducting investigation in Congress and they're the ones that are going to be able to to interview the uh, individuals they want to interview. 
look at the evidence they want to look at, and ultimately they decide. I don't decide. There's ample evidence that shows that President Biden was involved in Hunter Biden's businesses in some way, shape, or form. And it's not, you know, as I said in my testimony, the, the, a former senator, vice president, president, when he's involved in the business, he's not uh, uh, forming mission statements and working on Excel spreadsheets. I mean, him merely sitting at a business table, a uh, business meeting at a lunch, um, having water is all that Hunter Biden needed to use that influence. So that is Gary Shapley, who is one of the IRS whistleblowers who was just on with the great Bill Hammer, who visited us yesterday, uh, talking about why people are having trouble putting this together. Mark Levin had no trouble last night on Sean Hannity's show. I heard that. And then you have other people say, well, well, there's no proof. I have no idea what other proof you're looking for, because he's not going to get a check at 77 years old, possibly, that says, Here's, this is for you, Dad. What are you exactly you delivering? What you do is you show up, go take care of my son. What did Tony Bobulinski tell us in 2020? That's what happened when they met at the Beverly Hilton. They met uh, behind, he said, by, a, by one of these poles. They sit there on a table. They said, just take care of my, just tell you, I hear a lot of great things about you. Just take care of my son. You know, Joe Biden's never been asked, do you know Tony Bobulinski? Because Hunter Biden's threatening to sue him. And you know what Tony Bobulinski said? Please do it. And he's coming back for testimony. Here's more from Shapley, cut 37. It's just part of the shifting story from from DOJ and the, and the Biden family attorneys where uh, at the beginning it was, I've never talked to my son about business. That's been uh, proven patently false by uh, evidence and testimony we provided. Uh, then it moved to he's not in business with him. And uh, now we're into he's not financially uh, connected to, to the businesses. So uh, you, you don't have to be financially uh, uh, connected to a business in order to uh, be a part of that business. And what what President Biden w- was uh, basically doing through Hunter Biden was allowing Hunter Biden to get these deals where there's no discernible actual product being produced. So it's really just a peddling of, uh, of the influence. Unbelievable. Hey, the Teddy and Booker T Tour wraps up this weekend. Monhill, Pennsylvania, go get tickets, Carnegie of Homestead Music Hall, December 16th, Holland Civic Center, and Wichita, Kansas. The great station KQAM will be hosting me on Sunday at 1 o'clock. BrianKillMe.com for details. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Getting closer and closer to Friday. That's what Thursday usually means. Uh, Ben Dominich is going to be on, and Mark Thiessen wants me to buy some time because he's not dressed. So even though it's radio, right now we don't have a Skype option. I'm going to buy some time for him. Uh, We have a lot going on, too, because we know this is a day after the impeachment inquiry is formalized with a full House vote. Every Republican voted for it. Pretty amazing. Shows you how much progress they made over the last few weeks and how astounding it is when people say there's nothing there. Are you kidding me? There's a lot there. Uh, So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Wall Street Journal poll was, you know, very, very dark in terms from a Biden standpoint. Job approval down, ratings generally down. Most of the comparatives with Trump. Not good. That is David Axelrod, a Democratic strategist who sees what we see and sees the battleground states, the latest one, all going Trump's directions. Meanwhile, yesterday, everything is heating up. 
as Governor Haley gets another big, uh, big endorsement. This one from the uh, sitting governor of New Hampshire, with New Hampshire now just seven weeks away. Number two. Goodness. Yes, there are disputes about the day after Hamas, and I hope we will reach an agreement here as well. I will not let Israel repeat the Oslo mistake. We will not bring into Gaza those who educate terrorism, support terrorism, finance terrorism. Israel at war. Bloodiest day in Gaza as they lose 10 guys yesterday. Between Biden and the uh, Israeli prime minister, a gap begins to foment over what happens the day after Hamas is eliminated, number one. And the way they're fighting this war, number two. And can you believe the anti-Israeli rallies actually go after Seinfeld? Yes, Jerry Seinfeld. Number one. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad. Right. Exactly. Notice financially involved. Remember, he knew nothing about my business dealings. Now, financially involved. Hunter shows up on the wrong side of the Capitol and claims the high ground over House Republicans. He wants to testify publicly. But guess what, Hunter? You don't make the rules. All based on the president's last name. That's how your whole life's been lived. And now I think you're going to have to answer for your ridiculous behavior. Mark Thiessen joins us now. Former speechwriter for Bush, uh, Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor, uh, best-selling author. Mark, your thoughts about the audible that Hunter called yesterday. So, I mean, it, Hunter Biden is like Pigpen in uh, Peanuts. He's got this dark cloud that just follows him wherever he goes. And he, 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 he stepped in it again yesterday. He, he actually didn't try to avoid doing a deposition because he didn't want to fall into a GOP trap. And then he just stumbled into a hole on his own with this, with this you know, new statement that my father was not financially involved. I mean, think about this. We, we went from my family didn't make any money in China to I never talked to my son about his business, to now, yeah, I talked to my son about his business, but I, I, he wasn't financially involved in the business. He was financially involved in the business, even if a check never went to him, because he was the product that Hunter was selling. <laughs> he, it was access. He was putting him on the phone with with clients on speakerphone. He, was ha- he came to business meetings with his clients. He was the product. So, you know, the idea and, and now he's basically admitted. So they keep moving the goalposts thinking that we won't notice. Everybody noticed. And this is why he didn't want to show up for a deposition, because they would have drilled down on him and he wouldn't have had any good answers. So here's what Gary Shapley just told Bill Hammer. Cut 38. Can Republicans prove all that? Gary? It's, it's up to their investigation. They have to conduct the investigation that they want to conduct. I'm and sorry. So you're if not they prove it. They prove it. Uh, so you're not sure about that question? That. Yeah, I mean, the Republicans, they're, they're conducting an investigation in Congress, and they're the ones that are going to be able to, to, to interview the in, uh, individuals they want to interview, look at the evidence they want to look at, and ultimately they decide. I don't decide. There's ample evidence that shows that President Biden was involved in Hunter Biden's businesses in some way, shape, or form. And it's not, you know, as I said in my testimony, the, the, a former senator, vice president, president, when he's involved in the business, he's not uh, uh, forming mission statements and working on Excel spreadsheets. I mean, him merely sitting at a business table, a uh, business meeting at a lunch, um, having water is all that Hunter Biden needed to use that influence. So he's doing logic. That is a IRS whistleblower. He's saying that this is maddening that people aren't even putting two and two together. 
Why are people, some Republicans, and there's not many anymore, but there are some people that say, I still don't see anything there. Senator Grassley came out and said, so far I've seen nothing illegal that Joe Biden did. Well, he knows the investigation and knows everything that Shapley knows. Why would he say that? I don't know why, why he said that, but, you know, it, it, here's the thing. If I was going to bribe Joe Biden, I wouldn't, I wouldn't send a check from my account in the Bank of China and make it out to Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., I would I would pay for his grandchildren's tuition. I would send money to his son and his brother. Uh, I would I would send it through shell companies. I mean, there's never there's never going to be a smoking gun that shows you here is a direct line from from, you know, these Chinese communist officials to Joe Biden. It's it's always going to be that. That's that's why money. I mean, money laundering is is an art form. And there are people who are really good at it. And that's what they were doing. And so, but I mean, the question for Democrats is, just change the names. You know, just like we had the testimony last week by the by the college presidents, and 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 somebody did a great AI where they changed it from Jews to black and brown people. We 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 would calling a, uh, for genocide against black and brown people violate uh, Harvard's harassment for uh, that. And of course, the answer would have been yes for LGBTQ people, for Muslims, or any other group. Right? Do the same mental exercise here. And change the name Hunter Biden to Eric Trump, and the and the and the, and Eric Trump is doing this, and he's and he's having Donald Trump show up at meetings, and he's having Donald Trump join on conference calls, but there's no check going to 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 Donald Trump. The Democrats would be the ones trying to go to go in for a third impeachment. <laughs> I mean, it's just you know the, the the double standards are just so stunning, uh, and it's not even subtle. Do you think they realize it because? You know, now they're trying to vilify Hunter, bad guy. We saw Nadler, bad guy. We saw Jamie Raskin. He's got some troubles. Okay, wait a second. You try to isolate Hunter. That's kind of interesting, kind of relatively new. And then you see Hunter modifying his language. And then you see Joe Cole at all lies. And not many people are rushing to Joe's defense. And David Axelrod calling out how bleak the Wall Street Journal poll looks. I'm, I'm, I find it very instructive to see what's happening right now. There's not a cascade of defenders like there were in 2020. No, because they still see him as the guy who could beat Trump, um, and and they're getting worried about that. Uh, you know, if you because the polls are starting to show Trump edging slightly ahead of him, uh, you know, in a in a fairly consistent way, um, and so you know that that's all of a sudden if 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 Trump were to suddenly open up a wide lead over over Joe Biden, I think you'd start seeing the calls for him to step aside at that. And the, but but he's not. I mean, this is this is the problem is that, you know, you look at that Wall Street Journal poll and just to put it in perspective, Brian, Joe Biden. Now, if you look at the 538 average, it's it, he is the most unpopular president, lowest approval rating of any president since the end of World War Two. I used to have have to caveat that by not named Jimmy Carter when I talk about that. He's now 11 points less popular than Jimmy Carter was at this point in his presidency. So this is the most unpopular president we've ever had in the history of modern polling since polling began. And yet Donald Trump is beating him by four points. He is. That's almost within the margin of error. Right. And so, you know, that that means there's a drag on Trump is is pulling pulling ahead. But that doesn't mean he's going to win. You look at that same Wall Street Journal poll. Nikki Haley beats Joe Biden by 17 points, 17 points. If you look at the New York Times Siena poll and the and the and the swing states, Trump ahead, you know, five, four, six. Nikki Haley is ahead by 13 points in Wisconsin. 
double digits in most of these places. And so the question Republicans need to ask themselves is not can Trump win, but can Trump lose? And who is the candidate who is most likely to take advantage of this unprecedented opportunity to take on the most vulnerable incumbent president in the history of our country? And, and that's why I'm concerned. I'm not so concerned that, that Biden, you know, it, it, that Biden could lose to Trump. I'm, I'm concerned that Trump could still lose to Biden. But if, you, if I told you six months ago, that statement coming out of your mouth, you said, no, Brian, there's no way. He's got four indictments, 91 charges. And, you know, he I've never 20- held that Trump couldn't win. I'm, I, I'm saying that he's the least likely candidate of the Republicans to win. He is the one that the Democrats have the best chance of beating. And. That I'm not willing to take that risk. I don't dislike Donald Trump. You know, we've talked. I've, I've no, yeah, it's not worth you saying. I, I know the I, Washington Post than any human being alive. I always have to repeat that because because then if, every time I say this, somebody says never Trumper. I've never been a never Trumper. I, I will defend his first term in office to the day I die and everything he did. For, uh, the, the country is better off because Donald Trump was president of the United States. But I'm worried that if, if Joe Biden gets a second term, first of all, do you think, does any sentient human being think that Joe Biden will be president five years from now, if, if he wins? There's not a chance. I don't Kamala think he'd be president tomorrow. He's failing. Harris will be president of the United States if he wins a second term. And she is the dumbest person to ever be in the vice presidency in human history. And lazy. <laughs> And lazy, you know, exactly. Like she doesn't even do, you know, some people are not that smart. And so they really do their homework to sound to to sound like they're competent. She doesn't even do that. And so her running the country would be a danger to the republic. That's far worse than Joe Biden. I just can't take a risk. This country cannot survive four more years of this president. So I'm just just saying the Republicans look at who's the most likely to beat him. So right now. You look at the Bloomberg the, uh, poll that came out this morning. Wisconsin, now the only battleground state he was losing was Wisconsin. He's now up by four. Pennsylvania up by two. North Carolina up by nine. Margin of errors. Nevada up by three. Michigan up by four. Georgia up by seven. Six, excuse me. And uh, Arizona up by four. And the national polling, on average, he's, he's, uh, he's winning by four. So he's in a Most good spot right now. that is margin of error. Excuse most me. That is margin of the error. real clear average is of, now uh, eight. I mean, look, it's, is it possible that Donald Trump could win this election? Yes. Here's the problem with that, is that in the end, elections are not referendums on the sitting president. They're a binary choice between two people. And what the polls do show is the overwhelming majority of Americans say, I don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. I want two different candidates. And so if you look at the polls on either side, if the Democrats take Joe Biden off of the t- off of the ticket, Trump gets crushed. No, I if think the last poll he beats Trump, DeSantis. I mean, he beats Gavin Newsom. I, you, you, well, who says it's going to be Gavin Newsom? I mean, it, 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 if 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 you if, if you take it off, if you just take the generic Republican, I mean, generic Democrat versus Donald Trump, and let's see a New York Times Siena poll. All of a sudden, it flips entirely. And the same thing, if you take Trump off of the ballot, Republicans crush crush Biden. It's there. It, it's it's just we we I, I'm you know. I, I understand the the uh, the instinct to rally around the president because he's being attacked, and I, I get that. But this isn't about avenging Donald Trump; it's about saving our country. And if we, it's is is are you willing to risk that? Is the question. 
because I don't. Right. Because once this, this is going to every election tightens, right? Right now, people are just expressing their frustration with Joe Biden. They don't like the direction he's heading the country. But let's say they get a border deal, and all of a sudden the border starts to, you know, the, the border calms down because Republicans forced him to uh, to do that. The border isn't so much of an issue. Let's say the economy improves. Um, you know, it's there, and people are less frustrated, and inflation goes down, and their wages start going up. This could turn around. This is eleven months away. Um, I, I, you know, the question becomes: Who is the? W- would you like to win by a razor thin margin, or would you like to win by a landslide? Um, so I got to bring it to Israel real quick. Uh, Netanyahu yeah. and the Biden rift is is pretty public now. They think he's got to be more careful, more precise in the Gaza war. Brings it to a close. They have a total disagreement on what happens the day after. Where does this head? Knowing that his left flank is leaving him, uh, Mark Thiessen. So, so look, Joe Biden is is putting pressure on Netanyahu to do two things: to do humanitarian ceasefires, to restrain his military operations in order to protect civilians, and also to wrap this up as quickly as possible. Those are incompatible goals. Either you say to him, "Do what you have to do and do it quickly," or you say, "Take a lo- take as much time as you need, but do it carefully." You can't ask him to do both. <laughs> Right. Exactly. And so, so it's one or the other, you know. And 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 it, the the reality is, you can't you you can't have both those things. So, I understand the U.S. wants to protect civilian lives. The the only way you can have long term peace of any kind is by destroying Hamas. There's just there's just no other way. They have said they're going to do this over and over and over again. And then you've got an added problem, Brian, which is polls are showing. The vast majority of Palestinians don't want a two-state solution. They don't want to recognize Israel. They support Hamas. I mean, in the in the West Bank, support for Hamas is in the 80 percent tile. It's lower now in Gaza since October 7th. It's oh, it's at 53 percent. But that's because they they they're getting you know pummeled because of because of what Hamas did. So they're they're not. It's not because they're unhappy that Hamas attacked Israel. It's because they're unhappy with Israel's response. But this is a country. You know, after World War II. It wasn't enough to defeat Nazi Germany. We had to denazify Germany. We had to make the we had to have the Nuremberg trials. We had to make Germany confront the culpability of its citizens and the rise of Hitler and his crimes and make them I hear understand you. they could never go back to that again. We're going to have to have a dehamasification of, of of Gaza and the West Bank. Uh, and it's not going to be go okay. Let's just put the Palestinian Authority and go back to where things were before October seventh. We're never going back to where where things were. Mark Thiessen, uh thanks so much. I'll talk to you again soon. Take care. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, I'll be able to squeeze in some calls. Uh, looks like every line except one is being used. So get on board. Ben Dominich to the bottom of the hour bring us additional perspective. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, uh, Frank, you're in New York. Frank, what's on your mind? Yes, uh, Brian, uh, I have something that's been pondering my mind for several uh, months now. I don't know if you can answer this question. It's uh, in regards to how the U.S. has stationed two uh, carriers uh, off the coast of Israel. 
Do you think that it will come to a point that maybe uh, President Biden might decide to help uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and decide to uh, stop the incursion of Yemeni's rebels that are sending drones to vessels in the region and in stirring? uh, Possibly. I I also think that they were warning for Hezbollah. You start shelling from both sides, we'll start shelling you. I do think it's I'm embarrassed, Frank, how much we've taken from these Houthi rebels. They should be blown out of the water. They all should be dead by now. Thank you. Michelle in New uh, Brooklyn. Hey, Michelle. Hi. Hi, Brian. Um, Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, My concern as far as uh, the, the presidential election is right now that everybody's talking about polling, how Trump polls against Biden, how Haley polls against Biden. But I'm concerned that the Democrats are going to pull a -a rope-a-dope and get um, a a more popular uh, Republican candidate on the ticket, say Haley or DeSantis. How do they stand up against Michelle Obama or Hillary Clinton or Gavin Newsom? I think, uh, well, I mean, I think all three are formidable. I think all three win, but I'm not sure about Michelle Obama. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I would characterize what they said to us, and I happen to agree with it, that uh, our experience with crime is kind of a blip. Uh, it's a phenomenon, and we can look back over the, the last several years and see a lot of contributing factors. Um, but we will drive it, it down. Right, uh, and drive the capitals uh, right out of town, uh, and as well as the Wizards, who used to be the Bullets, but there were so many Bullets flying in Washington, they thought there was a bad message. Now the flying out might be the two biggest teams in Washington, D.C., Ben Dominich wrote about this. Uh, he's an editor-at-large for the Spectator World, host of the Ben Dominich podcast. Hey, Ben, that press conference yesterday, Governor Yunkin bringing him to Alexandria, he seemed quite happy, seems to be a good deal. How much does this have to do with Washington, D.C. being a, a crime haven? Uh, it has a lot to do with it, Brian. And really, I think that the response from, from Mayor Bowser in her press conference yesterday is an indication of how flippant she and other uh, progressive officials in Washington have been about this rising crime wave. And and in case, uh, you know, not all your listeners are familiar with what's going on with D.C., basically, you know, we saw a lot of a lot of cities across the country, you know, had these horrible experiences uh, thanks to uh, the the post-George Floyd situation, the pandemic, everything else that was going on. But a lot of those other cities, they started to stabilize and get better. D.C. hasn't. It's gotten worse. In fact, you see carjackings double year over year. You see the highest violent crime rates that they've had since the late 90s. Uh, We passed the 200th homicide in D.C. this year in September, which is the earliest it's passed that number uh, since 1997. Uh, And yet basically the attitude from from officials who obviously all are also engaged in all of this progressive, woke posturing when it comes to the police department and everything else has been to just to say, oh, well, this will get better. It'll, it'll go away. This is just temporary. Uh, Brian, we're down 500 net cops in the D.C. P- uh, police department since 2020. Uh, and that's not something that can be replaced overnight. 
And what does that do to the downtown area of D.C.? It makes it uh, a place that you don't want to go with your family and friends and spend a lot of money to go see a, a Capitals game or a Wizards game or anything else for, for that matter, uh, and then come out at the end of the night uh, and be worried about just finding a cab it's, it, or navigating the metro. It's not something that, frankly, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that uh, D.C. residents or anybody in the area really wants to do. And that's why uh, the owner, uh, Ted Leonsis, is, is jumping across to, uh, a very pro-business environment that Glenn Youngkin has created here in Virginia. So you say that, uh, and you you cite stats, that crime is up about a third, violent crime is up 40%, total homicides past 200 in September, uh, that's the highest since 1997. So the numbers are extremely high. What about people that say, you know what, these suburbs can offer money and subsidize billionaires like Leonsis, and the city shouldn't because they got other they have other issues? Well, I mean, a, a major uh, you know problem with uh, you know all of this is that uh, you have a situation in D.C. Uh, that you know is not going to be solved in part because of the irresponsibility of, of the officials, but also because you know there's just not uh, you know enough of a responsibility when it comes to Democrats to you know police their own to to keep them you know uh, headed in the direction of of making sure that all of the different policies are in place that will get people back into these cities. They claim to want people to come back. But they're not willing to do what it takes to be there. One thing that I will say is that I don't think that any of the residents, uh, you know, in Virginia, as much as they would love to have the the teams here, and you know, we have to see that play out in the course of you know the the different uh, responsibilities from uh, uh, the General Assembly and everybody else. It, it's also a situation where you don't want to be funding a billionaire. I mean, Ted Leonsis is one of the co-founders of of AOL. That's how he made his money. You know, he can afford to do this himself. So anything that they would be doing, I think, would be tax benefited, and they'll figure out a way to do it. But, you know, whenever you go down the road of subsidizing uh, billionaires with taxpayer money, I just personally think that that's a bad idea. And I don't think it's necessary in this point. There's such a great opportunity here for them to build uh, from a clean slate uh, that I think it's it's going to have enough of an appeal on its own. So let's talk about uh, the race. Oh, excuse me, Hunter Biden, like we did yesterday. Here's a little of Hunter Biden uh, saying, I'm innocent and my dad has never had anything to do with me. Kind of. Cut to. Let me state as clearly as I can, my father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. So he definitely did not paint with him. We know that. So that's good. But in terms of, I hadn't known known that that was one of the accusations there. You know, uh, Joe Biden doesn't strike me as as being particularly artistic. I think he did a whole story on on the Spectator world. Uh, Is he painting alone? Uh, (laughs) Financial uh, financially benefit from my business dealings. I've never discussed my overseas my son's overseas business dealings. Now he didn't benefit financially because there's proof. That he met at the Cafe Milano, where you frequent Ben Dominich, I'm sure, with business partners. He called in, according to Devin Archer, to many business meetings. So you can't say you never discussed it. We have pictures of him golfing with his business partners. Tony Bobolinsky's coming in to say they met at the Beverly Hilton. So all this stuff, he can't deny that anymore. I mean, what? A, come on, what do we think he was talking with him about? Taylor Swift? It's not a situation where you know Joe Biden could, uh, or the White House can say with a straight face anymore uh, that that he did not have any interaction about these things, and that's why they've continued to retreat all the way back into this space of of financial uh, interest. 
You know, here's the thing, though. I mean, and this is something, a point that Jonathan Turley from George Washington has made, uh, you know, a number of times. You don't actually have to directly financially benefit if your family is financially benefiting. And we know that Hunter was financially benefiting from these scenarios. In fact, uh, there's a long history when it comes to impeachments, even back to the 1800s, by the way, Brian, of, of, you know, people who have been impeached, including judges who've been impeached, when it was their families who were benefiting from the fraudulent behavior or, or the unethical behavior. They were engaging in, uh, as opposed to uh, you know them dir- uh, you know directly getting the cash or cut a check themselves. And so they're trying to establish a new standard which doesn't exist, hasn't existed. Uh, and I think that this is the reason why we're seeing so many more Democrats, including Chris Murphy, just this past weekend. Uh, you know, even Jerry Nadler, even Jamie Raskin, saying you know basically intimating that yeah, Hunter's got some real problems here. They just want to try to. Uh, keep him away from Joe. They want to try to draw a line there that just doesn't really exist. So uh, speaking of Joe, on Morning Joe, Ian uh, Sams, or I should say on his network, uh, Ian Sams, who is the White House counsel who keeps pushing back on all these investigations, uh, said this about what Republicans are up to. Cut four. And it really lays out the stakes of what's happening both in the country and the world right now. We have really serious challenges And these House Republicans don't seem to be serious people. They're launching an impeachment inquiry based on lies with no evidence while jetting out of town and leaving Ukraine aid on the table. I mean, this is really frightening behavior and unserious behavior. Frightening and unserious. Did he marginalize the presser yesterday? And do you think the presser was a good move? Uh, And is it resonating in Washington as a positive move? I don't think that that presser was a good move at all. I think it was, I think it was resonating as, as something that Democrats wanted to avoid and not, and not talk about. But one of the things that I think is so interesting about this is that, you know, they're trying to pretend that Republicans are unserious in this situation. Joe Biden could have gotten that Ukraine aid the day after he agreed to all of the different support that is necessary to defend our southern border, as he is responsible to do as president. Uh, you know, one of his yeah. obligations under the Constitution, and that's something that he could have all always agreed to. He could have always agreed to that. And and Democrats, frankly, there's even, you know, pulling out uh, from the Democrat side, from Reed Hoffman, you know, Democrat mega donor, uh, out there saying that, you know, if you actually went along with the Republicans on border policy, your poll numbers would go up because it's more popular than you are. And that's something that I think, frankly, you know, there are a lot of Democrats who, if you get them to be honest about it, they agree with that. They understand how much this is hurting their standing. Uh, and look, you know, they can try to turn this about something else, but it's very very clear that there's an enormous amount of evidence uh, about the level to which Hunter Biden was involved in all of these different things, the way he leaned on his father in order to gain these uh, these ill-gotten uh, uh, goods from all around the world, including America's uh, enemies, including, you know, uh, nations that we should look at with, uh, again, what I, and I think that, you know, when it comes to their attempt to try to, you know, uh, distract with some kind of, uh, oh, well, they're, jet- they're jetting off because they're being irresponsible. No, the president is being irresponsible. He's been being irresponsible his entire tenure, which is why we are, have such historic heights, not just of people that we know cross, but of known gotaways. And those are the people who we have mm. the most to be worried about. So right now, I understand, according to Senator Langford this morning, they're starting to make some real progress, to your point. The White House is even looking at a Title 42-style policy without the pandemic at the base, but having those type of restrictions. Uh, they're talking about $4 billion to build uh, holding facilities. 
uh, expedited removal, restricted humanitarian parole of places like Afghanistan and Ukraine. Enough. People are abusing it. Change asylum to make it harder to get in, period. Rapidly return people. So have these planes just on standby waiting to return to Mexico. So yet that in turn would get you $50 billion for Ukraine, more money for Israel, and more money for Taiwan, capping off at $116 billion. Now, uh, I think they got to get this done before they leave. And I think they have yeah. leverage over the Democrats. If Langford is smart, I just don't think he's going to be taken advantage of. If this is in writing and implemented, Border Patrol is given these new rules. This would be the best thing Democrats can do for themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And it's the sort of thing that, you know, frankly, look, I, I don't think that this should be. We, we always kind of retreat to this conversation as if it's about complex immigration reform debates, which where there are very significant differences and where there you know, are things that can't just be settled overnight. This should be very clear. This should be a slam dunk. You know, the, the White House should be for it. There's going to be a handful of progressives who raise hell about it for about a week. And then nobody's going to nobody is going to be on their side when it comes to the actual polls that come in and show them that they did the right thing, because, frankly, Democrat voters understand the vast majority of them that this is an unacceptable situation, that it has to be resolved. All right. Lastly, do you believe that uh, President Trump, uh, do you believe these polls that uh, President Trump has this type of command in these early states and overall against Joe Biden? Uh, you know, I do, but I also think that they leave something out, which is that if you look at a lot of these polls, you know, uh, President Trump is uh, former President Trump is up by, you know, three, four, five points, even seven points in some polls, uh, you know, over Joe Biden. I think that that is real at this current date. But what you also see there is that Joe Biden's polling in the low 40s. Come election day, he's not going to be in the low 40s. He's going to be much closer, if not above Trump, in some of these states. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Democrats, frankly, are going to do everything they can to win back uh, the same black voters, minority voters, and young voters that they depend on time and time again. They've, you know, they're in a bad way with them right now, but we've seen the machine that the Democrats put out there to get these people back out for them, to scare them about the former president. And so I just think that, you know, yes, those leads are, are real right now, but I think that they're going to be something that Republicans mm-hmm. really have to fight to keep. Uh, and that's going to be a really challenging thing, especially at a moment uh, when there's so many, you know, such a lack of resources among Republicans uh, in a lot of different ways. They're going to have a, a tough road to go through, I think, uh, that's going to require a lot of working together mm-hmm. and a quick coming together after uh, this primary is over. Absolutely. And by the way, uh, I don't know, are you going to have go, go any Christmas parties that are whites or Asians only. Um, what about this mayor of Boston, the Democratic mayor of Boston, defends her decision to host a no whites holiday party? What a great, what a great way to get in the Christmas spirit. We'll have a great time as long as white people don't come, and let's put it on the invitation and let's send it to white people by mistake. Well, you know, it's the real, it's the real spirit of Christmas: <laughs> division and racial, racial animosity, and, <laughs> and furthering crises in our community. That's what Christmas is all about, Brian. <laughs> You're right. I missed that. And by the way, I think she's married to a white guy. <laughs> oh, no. That, well, maybe that's the excuse he can use. <laughs> I'd like to go, honey, but I'm white. How many times have I said that at home? The, watch the games on the, at the local <laughs> pub. <laughs> All, All right, Ben, write about that next week. Uh, ben Dominich, thanks so much. Uh, check out his podcast. Uh, back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We all watched 
the television coverage of just yesterday. That's on top of everything else that we know and don't know yet. Based on what we've just been able to see, and because we've seen it or not, doesn't mean it hasn't happened. But just limited to what we have seen. What does that even mean? Does, do you have any idea, Eric? I mean, do you know what context? I don't. No, she was in Poland, and that came out. Incredible. In Poland. I mean, wouldn't it be helpful if we knew why she was in Poland? I mean, number one, the one reason I would think she'd go to Poland right now, there's a huge standoff. They're sealing off the border with Ukraine, making it hard for truckers to get back and forth. There's a problem with the farmland. Are they do- is she doing that? Maybe that would bolster up, make people feel better about when she travels overseas. Then she would still say stuff like that regardless of whatever the mission is. Oh, that's true. Well, I mean, I would like to know what she's doing. I mean, I hear she's in California a lot. I mean, she has no interest in really changing her image. I, she just thinks, you know, this guy, if he gets reelected, it's not going to be because of me or in spite of me. I just think she feels like she's a non-factor when she, she gets the call. She thinks she'll be like Truman or Teddy Roosevelt and take over and just rise to the occasion. Does anyone think she's going to rise to the occasion? Didn't think so. Thank you. So uh, let's go to Bonnie listening in the villages. Hey, Bonnie. Hi. I've listened to you for years. You're great. Thank you. When are you going to write a book about how these politicians get so filthy rich? Uh, (laughs) I know they shouldn't be. I mean, people say six figures, but if you're traveling to two locations, six figures, you know, you got kids and you got taxes. So you're taking home in, let's say, $200,000. You're taking home about $110,000. And you're traveling back and forth. you got normal expensive. Sometimes you got to get homes in two separate places, correct? So that's why a lot of these men and women who are being honest, like DeSantis, sleep in, slept in their office because they didn't want to waste money on rent. And they would shower in the gym. And then other people just end up multimillionaires, like Schumer and Pelosi. Well, Pelosi married into money, so I have no idea what's our money and what isn't. But that is an interesting story. And we don't know how all the uh, why Joe Biden got all those beach houses. You know, we knew he rode the train. But by the way, a, taking the train isn't a sign of poverty. Taking the train makes total sense. You arrive on time almost all the time. It goes through all types of weather. It is convenient. You never hit traffic. That doesn't mean you're blue-collar Joe. I think he was probably in first class, too. I was on Amtrak yesterday to go interview Kevin McCarthy. He'll hear that whole interview. I think I did his last interview before he left the he left the House. I think he'll be back if Trump wins or if uh, if any Republican wins. I think he'll be back and serving in the cabinet. I think he'll be invaluable. Uh, it's kind of, so thanks so much for the call, Bonnie. That's a good point. Um, all right. So what else can I tell you? I got to tell you that tomorrow night, right after the show, tomorrow afternoon, right after the show, I am heading to Mohall, Pennsylvania. And if you've ever seen live on stage, we reenact some great moments in history. It's better than Hamilton, according to Pete and Eric. Uh, better play than Hamilton. We reenact some moments in history. I talk about all my books, talk about history, great from the start. Also talk about an inspirational, motivational, what we're doing in here, what Fox is like. I'll be at the Carnegie of Homestead Music Hall. That'll be at 830, which I was informed at by Selena Zito, is that Booker T. Washington actually was there and was friends with Andrew Carnegie. And my book that really launched this whole tour, Teddy and Booker T., that'll be how I end this. So I hope to see everyone there at 510 East 10th Street. Then December 16th, that's Saturday night, back-to-back. I almost feel like I'm part of the Rolling Stones, like you have concerts. December 16th, I'll be in Holland, Michigan, 8 o'clock at the Holland Civic Center, BrianKillMe.com. 
It's every show is different. And then in Wichita, Kansas, on Sunday at 1 o'clock, KQAM, I'll sign as long as it takes. Go uh, register for tickets now. I'll be talking first, signing after, answering all your questions, and I can't wait to see everyone at KQAM. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.